And uh, today we're going to continue with our study of Colossians. And we're in chapter... Anyone want to take a guess on what verse we're in? Ten. (laughs) We're going to start at verse number ten. Colossians 4 and verse 10. And um, I'm going to read this and then I'm going to pray and then we'll get into the word today. I'm just curious, how many of you use your Bible app when you're in church? I'm just kind of curious. Just raise your hand. A lot of you do. How many of you like the old way of carrying your, your good old Bible with you? Ah, I think there's more on the other side, actually. But, but as long as you have the Word of God, you're good, you know? All right. Colossians 4, uh, verse number 10. Uh, note the names. We're, going, we're continuing with names this week. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice... These are my only fellow workers uh, from the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort for me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Areopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Dear Father, thank you, Lord, that uh, through your, your great wisdom and guidance, we're, we happen to be here, right here, on this day, in this passage. Lord, so this wasn't pre-planned. Maybe it was pre-planned by you, but we're here. I pray, Lord, you, you help me to preach the word of God. You put on my heart to share. Let everyone's heart be open to hear your voice today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to bring life and hope into each one of our hearts, each one of our souls today. Lord, be glorified through the preaching of your word. Be, be, uh, be lifted up, Lord. Be, be pleased with the proclamation of your word. And Lord, as the word goes off over the, uh, the live stream... And later on this week or sometime in the future when someone happens to come across it one day, let it also bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. So, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified through your word today and that your people will be encouraged and edified by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, last week we started this section. Uh, The section is from verse 7 all the way to the end. Um, I call it the name section. There are a lot of names being mentioned here. But uh, last week we talked about the power of communication and how important it is uh, for us to communicate with one another. There was Paul. There was uh, Tychicus. There was Onesimus. There was Philemon that got into the act because there were all this communication going on. And from that, we, we developed this kind of these four things to think about when we communicate in a church setting. Although, like I said last week, it probably there is an overflow in communication in generally, like, like with your family or at work even. But make sure that when you communicate, number one was that you're in Christ. The contrast was when you're communicating in the flesh. And usually when that happens, it's not a pretty picture. Second one was uh, make sure you know your spiritual authority and who you're accountable to and all that sort of thing. The third part was, was to be humble and to be, 
Uh, I think I used the phrase, get off your high horse, meaning get humble as a humble servant of God and communicate in that way. Verse number 11, which we just read, talks about how these men were a comfort to Paul uh, because they were comrades. They, were, they weren't proud and lofty and egotistical. They were friends of his. They brought comfort to him. And, and when, when we communicate humbly, we, we're a comfort to other people. And the last part was that we would communicate with Jesus. Uh, I would encourage everyone to communicate with Jesus before you even attempt to communicate with anybody else. That would probably solve a lot of problems right off the bat. But anyway, today we're going to continue with this section. Uh, my Bible, which is a, a New King James Version, has little headings for, for different sections. It says, Greetings from Paul's Friends. I find it interesting that his friends are co-laborers. I I think there's really a connection of our friendships that are also co-laborers with the Lord. Um, Again, I've been saying this for the past five or six weeks. I'm not speaking to anyone in particular. I'm speaking to all of us in general. So please tuck that away in your heart. Um, And this is another message about the importance of relationship within the body of Christ. Our, our, our theme, some of you newer people may not know, but some years ago we developed a theme for our church. And Pamela was instrumental in doing this. But the theme is a, is a sentence. The sentence is, people grow at new life. Many of you have heard it. Some of you probably haven't. But I need to be preaching a sermon on that subject. But anyway, people, all people, grow at new life. And grow is an acronym, meaning we get grounded in the word. That's one of the reasons why we're so particular lately going verse by verse. This is like biblical study 101. We're in the Word of God. But the, the R is for building relationships. And that's where these couple of sermons come in. The O is for outreach oriented. That's why we have the missions over there. And we support many local missions groups right here in Haverhill. And the W is for worship with passion, which we do every week. So this, this, this sermon and last Sunday had to do with relationship and communication. I want you to see something right off the bat that this, is, this points out the value that God has placed upon using people to accomplish his purposes. But may I add, he's using imperfect people because you know why? We're all imperfect. But he's using imperfect people to accomplish his goals. And some imperfect people, all imperfect people that we are, have, have an encounter with Christ. And because we had an encounter with Christ, we're on a level playing field. We may have been, had troubles or problems, but we come to Christ and here we are, all are working together. You know, God, God does save us, right? Everyone knows that God saves us. But God doesn't just save us. He continues to work in us. When he saves us, that's called salvation. When he works in us, it's called sanctification. And sanctification is a lifelong process where God continues to move and and work in our heart and touch our hearts. And we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in dying to ourselves and living for the Lord. And all this is happening in the context of the local church. And sometimes... Things get a little messy in a local church. Simply read the epistles and you'll read all about it. That there's problems with this one or that one and Paul's coming to correct this or that. And not a whole lot has changed in 2,000 years or so. But in verses 10 through 14, 
There's several names. Some of these names may be familiar to you. Um, maybe not. But there's one name that really stands out to me. It's in verse number 10b, the second part of verse 10. And that's the person of John, the cousin, I'm, I'm sorry, of Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Paul is, is basically taking a fatherly role here. And uh, he's looking out for him. He singles him out in a special way. And I think, why is he doing that? And I, I believe it's because Mark had a past that was difficult. He may have had a reputation that was difficult. And, 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 and Paul is saying in verse 10, uh, you received instructions about him. If he comes, receive him, welcome him. And I, the point I'm trying to make is that many believers today are stamped with a, a, a stamp from God that says special handling. Which brings up the idea of a second chance. And I've entitled the message today, The Power of a Second Chance. Don't, don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you here today have had a second chance, or a third, or a fourth, or a fifth. In fact, I entitled the message, The Power of Second Chances. So the tenth one is still like the second one, but you know what I mean. We have many, many second chances. So let's go verse by verse through this. And as we, as we do, we're going to make some application at the end. So, uh, verse number 10. Aristarchus. You know, there's a um, couple of websites where if you don't know how to pronounce a biblical name or, uh, of a person or a city, you can look it up and they, they phonetically tell you how to say it. That's how you knew how to say Tychicus. I looked it up to make sure. Uh, but Aristarchus is, you know, I, I think I knew that one anyway. But Aristarchus. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. Uh, Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. Aristarchus, in fact, all these people are with him in jail. But we first see Aristarchus, we won't turn to it, but in Acts 19 and 20, we see that Aristarchus is a traveling companion of Paul. They go on mission trips. He's a support. He's a fellow laborer. In verse uh, chapter of Acts 27, remember the story when Paul was on his way to Rome to go to prison, and he was shipwrecked. Remember that story? Well, Aristarchus was with Paul on that voyage, and uh, he had, had that situation with, with, uh, with Paul. But now he's in prison. And uh, the point I wanted to make here is that sometimes when we go through things with people, and we make it through, it, it gels our heart together. It kind of solidifies our relationship. I believe that's what's happening with Paul and all these people that he's talking about here. But Aristarchus was someone very dear to Paul, my fellow prisoner, and he greets the church in Colossae. And I see a lot of greetings going on in these passages. I just want to encourage everyone to, to, not right now, but when you come to church, greet somebody. I say it all the time. A simple hello could make somebody's day that's having a bad day. But I see that you'll greet them. He greets you. They greet you. Like greetings are really important, especially among the body of Christ. Okay, I want to hold off with Mark right now in verse number 10. I want to go down to, um, uh, to verse 11. And this is the only time that this person is mentioned in the Bible. Jesus, who is called Justice. I'm going to call him Jesus Justice, just to clarify. It's not the Jesus that we know, but Jesus Justice. Um, 
It says, uh, so, so Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus Justice are the only co-workers that are of the circumcision, meaning they're, they're Jewish people that converted to Jesus and accepted Jesus as their Lord. And Paul is singling them out that they were a comfort to me. Oh, having a common background is helpful, but having a, the, 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 the zeal for serving God was a factor. And, and being in a difficult situation together is a factor as well. And they were a comfort to Paul. And I want to just kind of reiterate what I said earlier, that there's no ego here. There's no pride here to get in the way. Paul has other people that he mentions that were basically a thorn in his flesh, where they brought stress or anxiety. But with these people, they were a comfort for him because they loved each other. They respected each other. And then going down to verse number 12, there's Epaphras. I'm sorry, Epaphras. Epaphras, how to get that phonetically. Epaphras, it says in verse number 12, is one of you. Well, what does that mean? He's one of you. Well, he's, he's from, from uh, Colossae. He's a Gentile believer. And uh, just like Onesimus was in verse number 9, uh, so they had that in common. But it says, uh, uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. There's that term bondservant that we talked about from chapter 3, verse 22, etc. Um, he greets you. Oh, and, he, and he goes on about this brother in a special way. He says, he's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. He was a prayer warrior. Remember, uh, we, we talk about our early morning prayers every day. I want to encourage you. I don't know where everyone's at with that. It's so important to be praying. Be a praying person. This person is singled out as a prayer warrior. And uh, I know we have some prayer warriors in the church as well, but I want to encourage you, make time to pray every day. And pray for one another. Pray for the church. Pray for the leaders of this church. And notice uh, what, what he's praying for. Uh, he goes a little deeper here. He says uh, he's praying. He's not praying for anybody's healing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He's not praying for anyone to be blessed financially. Not that there's anything wrong with that. He's not praying that they get anything. What he's praying for is that they would stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Reminds me of Paul's prayers in Ephesians 1 and 3 where he's praying, Lord God, I pray for the people here that they would have knowledge and wisdom of you, of your spirit, that their spiritual eyes would be open to be able to see the things of God. I think sometimes the church of today has kind of drifted from that basic quality. We need to be praying each other to have a good spiritual life. I mean, we'll get the blessings and all that, but you know what? <clears throat> I, sometimes I, I feel like, I mean, we're just praying for like God to give, give, and he will, but wait a minute. I, I see there's too many statistics of people not serving God anymore. And we should be praying for one another. Not to lose heart, not to lose faith, but to be encouraged in their faith. And so he goes on in verse number 13, he he says, you know, I'm praying that they, or Epaphras prays that, that you would stand and be perfect and complete in the will of God. And Paul says in verse 13, I bear him witness. In other words, I testify. I know this man. This guy has a heart for you. He prays for you. He loves you. 
Man, what an asset to any ministry to have people like that on your team that are literally praying and well known for their prayers. I bear in witness that he has a great zeal for you, a great passion, a great uh, burden for you. He, he, he loves you. He, he, he prays diligently for you as well for the people of Laodicea which is mentioned in Revelation, and Areopolis, which is another nearby city. But uh, Epaphras was a good man, a, a good friend of Paul's that Paul depended upon to pray with people, or pray for people. And then we have uh, verse 14. We have uh, Luke, the beloved physician. There's that word beloved. We talked about that last week as well. Some people are singled out as beloved. You know, there's a quality about them that makes them vulnerable or, or somehow uh, lovable in a sense. They're kind, they're gentle or whatever. But uh, he's the beloved physician. And we read about Luke in, in Philemon 23. We read about him in 2 Timothy 4. Uh, he was in prison with Paul. But Luke is a very important person in the, in the scriptures. He's the author of the gospel of Luke. He's the author of the book of Acts. He was Paul's traveling companion for many years. And um, he was from Antioch. He was Greek. He was educated. And with Luke, the beloved physician, we have a situation where we're combining, listen to this, the spiritual component of divine healing with the practical application of a, of a, of a physician as one of Paul's best friends. So certainly Paul believed in divine healing, and we do too, but we also believe in doctors. I do. I, I think doctors are a gift from God. And I see it all over the book of Acts. Paul and Luke traveling together. The divine with the practical. It makes perfect sense to me. Someone wants to say, I want, want to go to a doctor. Should I go to a doctor? Well, yeah, why not? Pray, but go see a doctor if you feel like you need a doctor. It's okay with that. I see, a, I see a something important here with Paul and Luke. It's a good combination. So then, then we see Demas. Demas greets you. Demas, we're going to talk about a little bit later, but Demas is an interesting character, a little unsettling in my mind and in my heart, because we see him in prison here with Paul. He's greeting the people. And uh, in Philemon, he's, he's associated with all these guys, uh, Aristarchus, Luke, and Mark, and uh, Epaphras, they're all kind of together. But in 2 Timothy 4.10, we see something that is disturbing. We see Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Demas has deserted me. He loved this present world more than the cause of Christ is what he means. But he left this present world. He went to Thessalonica. And we don't know the fate of Demas, but it doesn't look good. I think that Demas... Is a, is a character that probably needs a second chance. Can't say that definitively, but I think he probably does. So let's go verses 10 and 11 just for a second. I want to get this right. So um, we see Mark in verse 10. He's a cousin of Barnabas. And uh, he comes with special instructions. But we see Aristarchus and Mark and Jesus, Justice, in prison with Paul, with Epaphras and Luke and Demas. Get all these names down. And, and they're kind of a team. And, and they're, they're greeting the church of Colossae. But Mark is singled out with special instructions. Welcome this one. Why did he say that about the others? 
I mean, is it just me or does it, does it kind of grab you? Like, why is he single out? Make sure you welcome Mark. Aristarchus, he's okay. Luke, he's okay. Whatever, whatever. I believe that he's saying, don't shun him. Don't discipline him. Don't, uh, don't neglect him. Uh, don't feel funny with him. Welcome him. And I think there's a question that has to be asked. The question is, what's going on with this person? What's the story with Mark? Why all the, you know, special care? And, I, and there is a story. And I want to tell you the story today before we get into the application of what we're talking about. The simplified version is what I'm going to tell you. But we, we see Mark alluded to in Acts chapter 12. Now, in Acts chapter 12, if you know anything about, or you're, you're, you're a student of the word, you'll know. Acts chapter 12 was when Paul, James was just martyred. Paul's thrown in prison, in the inner prison, beside himself. But constant prayer was being offered by the church. And, and so they're praying. And, and miraculously, an angel comes and releases uh, Peter. Did I say Paul? Peter from prison. And he, he gets out and he, he goes to where the prayer meeting was. And the point was there, he knew where to go for the prayer meeting, which was commendable on his part. He knew what was going on. But he gets there, they're bewildered, and they don't even believe it's him. They didn't really believe their prayers that he was going to get out or whatever. But anyway, it says, they, he came to the house of Mary, where a great number gathered together in prayer. Mary was the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So we see that Mark is a person uh, that was the cousin of Barnabas in, in Colossians 4.10. And you know Barnabas, right? The son of encouragement. The one who was always encouraging people, blessing people. He was sent on a little trip to Antioch that time. And so he, it's his cousin and it's, it's Mary's son. So we see that, that he, had a, he had good Christian roots and support here. Now, if you would, turn with me in your Bible or your Bible app. I'm trying to be relevant here. To Acts chapter 12. And I want to just show you a few things here. The story of of John Mark. So when you hear John or Mark, you have to understand it's the same person. So in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 12, in verse 25, we have Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Saul, uh, returning, uh, they were returning uh, to Antioch, where their home base was, from Jerusalem, where they weren't on a special mission to bring relief to the people there. But it says they, they fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So we have this probably young man at this point, kind of palling around with the big boys, Barnabas and Paul. One's his cousin. And it's all good. He's doing good. He's coming up in the faith, so to speak. Now over in Acts 13, if you turn with me over there, the first couple of verses you're probably familiar with. Uh, at the church in Antioch, there are all these different people, uh, the prophets and teachers praying together. And, and in that prayer meeting, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and send them on a mission trip. And, and they did that, right? Verse number three, they fasted and prayed. They, they sent, they laid hands on them. And, uh, so then verse four, being led out by the Holy Spirit, they went here, there, and everywhere. And verse number five, they also had, uh, had John or John Mark as their assistant. So John Mark is kind of coming up a little bit in the world. Now, this is where it gets a little bit difficult. Because we see in the story, if you read on from chapter 6 through 13 in, in, in Acts 
13, that uh, the, one of the first things that happens is Paul gets confronted by a demonic spirit, a false prophet, uh, who's trying to disrupt the communication Paul was having with another person. But in verse number, uh, verse number 9, and, and you have to picture this. Now, John Mark is, is watching all this. Paul, who was also called Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at this person and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Now, Paul basically let him have it in the spirit, if, if you will. Now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Wow. He pronounced judgment on that guy. And John Mark's watching in the background. Immediately a dark mist fell on him. He went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, the proconsul who Paul's trying to address, believed when he saw what was being done and astonished. But now when Paul and his party set out from Paphos, they came to Persia in Pamphylia. But John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. Interpretation of that is John was basically in our vernacular, bugged out, freaked out. He was scared of the spiritual warfare that he saw. He was not ready to be in that position. And he left. He went back to Jerusalem. Now go to chapter 15, Acts 15. So Paul and Barnabas continue on their trip. They're ministering. There's good things going on. People getting saved and healed and whatnot. Now, verse number, uh, chapter 15 and verse number 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, hey, Barney, let's go back to all those churches that we established and let's go back and see how everyone's doing. And, uh, and, and uh, Barnabas, it says in verse 37, was determined to take with them John called Mark. So they're cousins. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He, 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 he's like that. Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And the contention became so sharp between Barnabas and Paul uh, that they parted from one another. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and he departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here's John Mark causing a rift between Barnabas and Paul. And so the question has to arise, what happened to this young man? I was always curious about John Mark. And I, as you study the scripture... We don't know the exact time frame, but some point after this, we see in 1 Peter 5.13, when Peter is addressing the churches that he's writing to, we see that my son in the faith, Mark, greets you. So we have John Mark now. Paul wanted nothing to do with him. We see John Mark getting associated with Peter, getting grounded, getting, you know, getting established in his faith and sometime later still, in 2 Timothy 4.11, we see Paul writing to Timothy. He says to Timothy, while Paul's in prison, Timothy, bring me John Mark. He's useful for ministry. And so in Colossians 4.10, where we started this, let me go back over here. 
we see, we see that uh, Paul is saying, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome this man with special instructions. In other words, whatever happened before, whatever you heard that he left the ministry or he, he left the church or he and Paul had a problem or he caused a problem with Barnabas and Paul, Mark is okay. He worked through the issues. He's in prison with me now. And I would say that John Mark being in prison basically earned his stripes. And Paul's recommending him, you welcome this man. Don't shun him or, or disregard him. So think about it. Here's a young man that started out with a good family, a praying mother, a, a cousin, Barnabas, that was so involved in the church, uh, a praying mom, an encouraging cousin. And he had these spiritual battles that he ran away from and caused probably a, a big rift between Barnabas and Paul. And, and, but now Paul is saying he's okay. Can I just stress the value of a second chance here? Because by world standards, Paul would have said, forget this man. I don't want anything to do with him. He, he let us down. He ran away. He couldn't handle the pressure. But now Paul came around to say, no, you welcome this man. He's valuable. So I want to take this passage and give you four things to think about. And, and again, I said this last week, they won't be in that much depth, but I think they'll be meaningful as we apply this passage to our lives and to our situations. I, I wonder, don't raise your hand, but how many of you have had a second chance? My hand is up 10 times, 20, 50 times. And how many, do you, how many people do you know that need a second chance? That's probably just as relevant. So I believe the, the things I'm going to share with you are very important, very practical. So let's talk about this. The power of second chances. Here's the, here's the first one. Everyone, did I say everyone? That one that bothers you? That, that relative that, you know, you have a history, you can't go there. But see, everyone, that guy at work that you can't stand. Everyone deserves a second chance. Everyone deserves a second chance. Or more. <laughs> I don't want to end it too. I, I think if, I, if we ended it too with me, I don't know where I would be. I needed more than two. But anyway, everyone deserves a second chance. James and John. I'm just going to go through a few names in the Bible. James and John, the, the sons of thunder. They're two brothers. Fishing partners with Peter and Andrew. But they were, they were called sons of thunder because they were loud they were like uh, obnoxious sometimes. They were, they were uh, impetuous. They, they had a, a, a doting mother that tried to look out for them, but they were like, they were difficult people. But they became great pillars in the early church. Peter, we all know Peter, quick tempered, always speaking out of place, saying things he regretted later, always, you know, not afraid to state his opinion. But we see him on the day of Pentecost standing up preaching the word of God with a fire, with conviction. Oh, he's very thankful for a second chance. We see Thomas. His nickname is Doubting Thomas. You know, where I grew up in New York, everyone had a nickname, by the way. Families had nicknames. But could you, could you imagine if your nickname was Doubting? That's not a good nickname. <laughs> doubting Rick. Really? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't want to be known as Doubting Rick. I may have had my doubts, but, you know. But he was Doubting. To this day, we call him Doubting Thomas. 
But he became a great missionary, a great leader in the church as well. We think of the, the thief on the cross. A thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me. Think of Paul that had Christians killed with hatred, with, with a zeal for obeying the law. He was, he was so fervent in what he believed, but he was so off base. But God interrupted his life and gave him a second chance. I think of John Mark in this, this story of his life. I thank the Lord and we thank the Lord that, that Paul and others had mercy on this young man and was willing to receive him back. And so the application for us today is how many of us know people from the church that we don't see anymore? They disappeared. They ran away. Maybe they're John Mark. Maybe the percolator's still cooking in their heart and God's dealing with them about something. We can't write anybody off, church. We, everyone deserves a second chance. Um, what about someone who, who fell back into their own ways or backslid? Uh, maybe they're having a hard time trusting people because in their life, in their growing up years, they never could trust anybody. They can't trust their parents. They can't trust their teachers. They don't trust the police. They don't trust anyone in authority. So they meet people at church and it's like the same relationship. They don't trust people and they leave. That person needs a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth chance. Because, because look, we're, we're on the right side here. God wants people like us. He came for people like us. So we, the church, it's like, if now we're the church, so we're higher than everyone? I don't think so. In fact, I, I know we're lower than everyone. We're so low that we realize we need God in our lives. That's where I'm at. I don't know about you. I mean... I wake up, I have to pray every day. Lord, help me today. What about the family member? Maybe they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Maybe they even said the sinner's prayer. But they're not fully yielded to God. They deserve a second chance. Might I give you some advice? Pray for that person. By name, pray for that person or those people. Pray for them and be ready to receive them back when they want to talk about Jesus. Don't bring their baggage with them. Just let them deal with them where they are. Mark 18, Peter asked a very pertinent question to Jesus. How many times do I forgive someone? And he, I think he's thinking he's doing a good deed by saying, seven? It's more than one or two, so it's pretty good. I'll forgive them seven times. Like that's something. And Jesus said, no, Peter. How about seven times 70? How about, you know, how about unlimited? If God forgives... We have to forgive. So everyone deserves a second chance. You do. I do. Anyone. Our families members do. Our people in our life. We all deserve. I mean, we all we may need a second chance, but everyone, you know, deserves that second chance. That's God's way. Second one is this. The way you start out is not the way you have to end up. That's really important. I, I take this one to the bank myself. Because I didn't start out too good in the whole thing. But anyway, that's another story. But I, I think of, you know, I think of like, you know, the first, I actually, I didn't get into that. I wanted to save it for right now. But the very first mention of Mark is not in Acts chapter 12. We see uh, Mark in one of the Gospels. 
Did you know that? We see Mark in one of the Gospels. The first mention of him is, is actually at the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the Garden of Gethsemane? They had the Last Supper, and they, all, they prayed and sang a hymn. They went out to the garden where Jesus was praying. It's there that we see John Mark for the first time. A young man. We see him uh, with the disciples and other believers there hanging around and watching the events unfold. The guards come in. Peter takes out his sword and cuts off the, the servant's uh, ear, the, the guard's servant. And, and, and Jesus gets arrested. Everyone, fly, everyone flees. Everyone leaves. But in Mark chapter 14, which you can turn here if you want in your Bible or your app, Mark 14, 51 and 52. But here, here's the thing you have to understand. In those days, when the author wrote a story, not like today, like if this happened, like, like when, when, when John wrote the gospel, he would say phrases like, the one whom Jesus loved. He was talking about himself. He wouldn't mention his name because he was humble. But the beloved uh, apostle whom Jesus loved, the one who put his head on Jesus' breast, it was himself he was talking about, but he wouldn't say that. When Peter wrote, I'm sorry, when Paul wrote later, I know a man. I don't know what happened. He was in the third heaven. He heard that visions and heard voices and people speaking in tongues. He didn't mention it. It was himself he was talking about. See, now, if things like that happen today, you have a million, you know, million seller, selling book because it's all about you. But that's another thing. But in Mark 14, we have, have the whole story of the arrest and everything. But in Mark 14, verse 50, it says, They all forsook him and they fled. Now, a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young, man laid, and young men laid hold of him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Kind of an obscure passage, but most scholars really believe he's talking about himself. And by the way, it was Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So if, we, if we're going to be limit our, limiting of ourselves of how we started out, there would never be a Gospel of Mark. God would have chosen someone else to write the Gospel, but God knew Mark's life, his failures. Think about it. He ran away from Jesus in the garden. He fled the scene. He ran, runs away on the mission strip from all the demonic activity. He runs away from Paul. But thankfully, he latches on to Peter. And he gets himself straightened out. And through life and time and things go by, and later in his life, he writes the gospel of Mark. Come on, that is fantastic news. The way we start out has, has little to do with how we end up. Or it may propel us to be a lot better than how we started out, if we think of it in that way. So Paul wrote to Timothy, he's useful for service. You know, are you useful for service, church? Or are you limiting yourselves because of where you come from? Or your previous blunders in your life? If I've learned anything over the last 25 years, I've learned to... I've learned to put down, cast away those negative thoughts that you, that you can't do this. Who do you think you are? You think you can preach the word? You think you can pastor a church? Blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, with God's help, I do. Yeah, as a matter of fact. But the, the voice of the enemy would say, you're nothing, you're no good, you're never going to amount to anything, and you're bad. And Jesus' word tells us exactly the opposite of all that. He's redeemed us, set us on the rock, 
and sends us out. So I don't know where everyone's at today with all this, but if you've had a difficult background, the way you started, it does not have to mean you're going to end up in the same way. All right, let me give you number three. Uh, Number three is this. uh, You can't judge a book by its cover. But what I mean by that is, in verse 14b, is the story of Demas. Because Demas needed a second chance, but nobody knew it. He didn't just, you know, get up one day and say, Paul, I'm done with this. Something had to be brewing in his heart and in his spirit for a while. But... He was Paul's travel companion on missions trips. He was friends with all the people listed here in Colossians 4 and Philemon 23. He's listed as a fellow worker. But something was missing in Demas' life. He started out okay, but something along the way was eating at him, apparently. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul's in prison later in life. Um... Paul writes this to Timothy. He he says, Timothy, come see me quickly. I don't know. Maybe Paul was thinking he was going to die pretty soon. But Timothy, come see me quickly. You know, I I love you. You love me. I know you have my heart. I need you. He says, uh, Paul says, Luke is here. And and bring Mark with you. He's valuable. Uh, Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. And bring me the cloak and the books when you come. And and, and beware of Alexander. Don't, Don't bring him. I don't want to see him. But Demas, Timothy, Demas has forsaken me. This is a sad word from any church leader. So-and-so has forsaken me. He loved the present world more than the cause of Christ. He left for Thessalonica. And here's the thing I'm trying to say. Demas looked good. He looked right. He had the right friends. He probably said the right words and sang the right songs as everybody else. But he left the movement. It was no longer worth it for him To suffer for Christ. And he was right in the midst of everybody. What I'm saying is, there are some among us that that have such a secret life, we don't even know they need a second chance. What I'm trying to say is, if that's you, get along with God. Get get his grace and his mercy on you and, 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 and get right with God. Or better, you know, equally important, talk to someone. Don't walk around in life wounded. And you may be playing the part. And you may be in church and all this stuff like Demas. But in your heart of hearts, you know you're not right with God. And you know you've closed the door for people coming in. I'm saying, you know what? Before something happens, expose that thing. That's what church is all about. Right? That's what church is all about. Okay, let me give you the the last thing here. And then we're going to wrap this up. Number four is this, to protect your heart. When you either receive a second chance or give someone a second chance, protect your heart. Let me explain that. Proverbs 4.23, great scripture. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart, protect your heart, guard your heart. Let me break it down. First of all, if you have fallen away from God, if you're a Demas, if you're fallen away, if you backslid, if you, if you fell away from God's grace and you, and you blew it, you're just beside yourself, can I tell you something? Please protect your heart. You're not the only one. 
Your misery should lead you to repentance, not to get deeper into the rebellion. Some people, uh, they need a second chance, but they're so embarrassed or they're so hurt or they hurt people, they hurt themselves, they, they run away. But I'm saying, don't, don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at the church. Don't build up a callous heart. Protect your heart. Find grace. Find mercy. Find forgiveness. Repent. Receive God's love again. And maybe again and again if you need it. Amen. You know, don't, don't... You have to credit John Mark in a sense because he was willing to go with the flow. He knew he blew it. But he didn't run away. He associated himself with Peter. And later Paul reconciled with him and said he was useful. So he protected his heart. Because he knew that God's ways were best for him. He just had a hard time living it, as we all do. But anyway, if you've fallen away or there's a problem, don't get callous towards God or the church. Protect your heart. And if you know someone, this is the second part, if you know someone that needs a second chance, protect your heart there too. Paul certainly did. I want nothing to do with John Mark right now. He, he, he wasn't good for us. And he protected his heart. But maybe the Lord would use you to bring that person back to the Lord. So protect your heart. Don't be influenced by the negativity or the hurt. You be greater than that, stronger than that. You lead that person to a place of repentance and love that person back to Jesus. Um, I would recommend establishing healthy boundaries as to how far you may go with someone in that situation. Be wise and discerning and hopeful, but be careful. Because the enemy of our soul would love to use that situation to cause, what, dissension within a church. But bring that one to a place of understanding and be careful that your heart isn't poisoned too. So protect your heart in these matters. So in conclusion, just four things about the power of a second chance. Everyone deserves one. Amen? Uh, It's not so much how we start out in life, but it's how we end up that's important. Um, Someone's spiritual life and and, uh, conduct may not be... uh, Obviously uh, presented by how they look or how they act. There may be things going on on the inside that we can't tell. And we must really protect our heart as we go along the way. So I want to I commission you, church, to think about people that you may know. Well, first of all, maybe there's some here today that need a second chance. I think I, I have some, something to say about that. I mean, I feel like... I've had many second chances in my life. Second chances are wonderful. Embrace them. Be wiser when you get a second chance. But some of you may have people in your lives that have hurt you or done things that are wrong. Well, they do need a second chance, but they need to come to an awakening as well. So be wise in in how you handle that. Can we stand together? Let's let's conclude this. Let Let me wrap this up again. Everyone needs a second chance or deserves a second chance. And and you have to underline the word everyone because you may think, oh, well, that guy doesn't. I could make you a list of 10 people. They don't deserve a second chance, but it's not it's not me. It's, It's God's way. You know, it's not how you start out in life. That's important. It's how you end up. 
You can't judge a book by its cover. You know, you can, everyone may look like we're all doing great. Like, how you doing? Doing great. How you're really doing? I'm doing terrible, you know. You never know. And, and protect your heart in all things. The heart issue is the most important. So I want to, want to read verse number 10, if we could do that together. Let's see. Okay, Colossians 4.10. Everyone say this big word with me. Aristarchus. <laughs> now let's do it together, okay? One, two, three. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Isn't that a good word? Let's say it one more time. Ready? One, two, three. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Amen. Every head bowed for just a moment. Hallelujah. I'm going to be brave and uh, invite you to come to the altar if you need a second chance. So if there's anyone here, maybe you need a second chance with God. Maybe you blew it with the Lord. You feel miserable and you just want to get right with God. Sometimes that just coming to the altar, having someone pray for you is just exactly what you need. Some may need prayer for someone in your life that you're, you don't know what to do with this person because they hurt you or they, something's going on and you don't know how to, how to handle that. And there may be others still that more personally, there's people in your family that uh, it's troubling to think that you're not in relationship and you want God's wisdom to know how to handle it. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray right now. And uh, James, if there's any background music, that would be wonderful. And uh, I'm going to pray. If anyone needs to be at the altar, uh, come. I'd be happy to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your word today. We just call upon your precious name, Lord. That, that by your spirit, you would take this message today and bring home the reality that we all need to face. We all need second chances let us follow John Mark's example, and Paul's, and Peter's, and Timothy, all of them. Let us follow the example in your word that uh, the way someone begins is not the way they have to end up. So Lord, I pray for the church. I pray for those online today to, to sense your anointing as we think about these things. And Lord, uh, let, us get, let us get on the right track. And Lord, if we need to extend grace or if we need to extend wisdom or correction to someone, please anoint us to do that, Lord, with your heart, so that the result would be something good and positive. So we thank you. We praise you for it. May your blessing be upon the church now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. So if anyone needs prayer, please come to the altar. Love to pray with you before you go home today. God bless you.